Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The TalkSport Daily Podcast is proud to be in partnership with Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Whether your business needs cars, vans, or larger commercial vehicles, you can rent from the best lineup in the UK with Enterprise. And with flexible long-term rental, you can get vehicles for as long as you need them, from minutes to months. Whatever the mission, Enterprise's mobility experts can build a bespoke solution to suit your business needs. Visit enterprise.co.uk forward slash business to find out more. Charismatic, happy, bonkers. And it's seven for Frankie. Fujiyama Cliff holds on. And it's a Frankie win on the fourth day of Royal Ascot. He adds colour, energy, passion. Effervescent, brilliant, unique. The best that we've ever seen. Racing royalty, a Nabal and Frankie Dottori. He's run him into the ground. It's four out of four. Dottori on fire. That's Frankie time. Frankie Dottori is a sporting superstar with a larger-than-life personality. Ask someone from the general public to name you a jockey, and the answer is the same. Frankie. Dottori transcends his sport, and at the age of 49, having achieved almost everything possible in a sparkling career, he's showing no signs of a farewell flying dismount. In fact, the iconic Italian is as good as ever. Winning a record 19 Group 1 races this year, as well as seven winners at Royal Ascot, earning him the top jockey title at Britain's biggest meeting. He was also named the world's best jockey for a second year running, becoming the first to win the award back-to-back. But it hasn't always come easy for Frankie Dottori, and over the next hour we'll look back at the highs and lows of his career and life so far. We'll hear from some of the biggest names in horse racing. There is a bit of madness in Frankie. But I think in every genius that competes at a level of sport, there's, there's something inside them all that makes them different. We'll find out how his career could have taken a very different path. Things were really going against Frankie Dottori. There was a lack of confidence in him. He probably lacked confidence in himself. We'll reveal how he cheated death. The only way out was through the front, which we couldn't get to the front because it was on fire. Frankie couldn't move. The flames mm. would have been hitting him. And we speak to the man himself about being racing's brightest star. When you ride a favourite at Royal Ascot and it's 40,000 people shouting your name, I mean, you can't get any better than that. I'm Rupert Bell, and this is Frankie. Ever since I've worked in racing from the early 90s, Frankie Dottori has been a dominant presence in the sport, with an ability to grab the headlines, good and bad. And his current success, approaching the age of 50, has left me surprised and delighted in equal measures. But how did Frankie become the face of racing? The story began in 1984, when a 14-year-old left his native Italy and arrived in Newmarket. The deal was to spend six months in England and six months in France as working experience before I could start racing at 16 or 15 and a half in, in, in my case in Italy. My English was very minimal. And I had a, I had a sign put on my chest with my name on it in case I got lost. I was shoved in the easy jet and sent to Luther Airport where somebody picked me up and took me to the stables. The first three months were difficult. You know, obviously I was Italian, was a bit bullied a bit, a little bit. But then, uh, you know, I started to grasp a few words and I started to make some friends. 
And when the time was up for me to leave, uh, actually, Luca Kumani, the guy I used to work for, he asked my dad if I could stay because he saw a bit of potential in me. And, uh, and I'll be honest with you, I was quite pleased to stay because at that moment, I was, uh, I was 15, I had friends, you know, the hormones were kicking in, were chasing the girls. <laughs> and I loved the, the new market uh, camaraderie. The man taking him under his wing was top trainer and fellow Italian Luca Kamani, who I spoke to at the new market sales. He was very, uh, very wild because uh, his parents had split up and he used to live with his grandmother. And uh, so he, he got no discipline whatsoever and he did whatever he wanted to. And so when he came here, he, he, he had a bit of a shock because uh, at Racing Yard operates on discipline. Everybody has to do pull their weight and do the things they're supposed to do. So that was a bit of a shock for him. Luca's daughter, Francesca, and now ITV presenter, had her own unique first impressions. You always knew when Frankie was around because he was such a kind of large presence, even even at that age. And he always had a huge confidence about him. And for some reason, I always have this memory of him coming into the house and going straight to the kitchen and grabbing a ball of mozzarella and just eating it straight out of the packet. Now you have these random memories. Didn't think it was the healthiest thing for a jockey to be doing. But um, you always knew when he was around. You always knew when he was in riding gallops. And he always got on so well with, with all the lads and, and the staff in the yard. Experienced stable jockey Ray Cochran, a man who was later to become his close friend and agent, already had him on his radar. He had a nice helmet, nice jodbers, nice shiny boots, but the horse was always covered in straw marks. Had straw mark, had straw in his tail, straw in his mane. Tack wasn't put on that well. But the jockey always looked quite nice. But doing his horse, getting it out, wasn't very good. But he always looked like he had a bit of talent about him and looked like he had a bit of sophistication about him. I don't know why, 14 and a half. Also at the stable was another young, aspiring jockey, Jason Weaver. We were young and wild and, of course, we went off the rails and we were late on numerous occasions and Luca didn't take very well to that at all. And so we were severely reprimanded. We were banned from riding. We were put on trotters around the hill when the horses were working. Yes, we, we um, but we had a slap on the legs for, for what we did wrong. Yeah, I mean, that was a nightmare, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> An absolute nightmare. I was wild. Uh, I was Italian, I had a point to prove, and uh, yeah, I wasn't easy manageable. It was quite embarrassing when you look back to things I used to do. On one occasion, we had a horse that he'd been riding work. He was a notorious uh, morning glory, and Frankie had been riding him work, and he told all and sundry that it was a certainty, he would win, and there was no, and everybody should lump on. And then the horse naturally got beaten because he was only a morning glory, and Frankie was heard by, by the head lad, to come round the evening stables and go round everybody saying the old man can't train Ivy up a wall. The head lad reported that to me when I went round. So I picked Frankie up and put him against the wall and I said, look Frankie, for as long as you work for me, I'm the greatest trainer there is on earth and that's all you have to think and say about. And, and, uh, and he, went, he went away very sheepishly and, uh, and I think that taught him a lesson that you, know, you have to be loyal to the person who you work for. No question, early life lessons learnt for Frankie, but it certainly didn't dent his self-belief. I started riding at 16 and, and obviously as a kid you're, you, 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 ride, you start in apprentice races and I was winning most of them and I realised that, wow, yeah, I think... I think I'm quite, I'm, I'm all right. Yeah, because you compare yourself to other children. Because when you're 16, you're still a child, really. You know? And, you know, and I, I, I stood out and I, I knew then, you know, I, I might be okay at this. He wanted to be successful. He was a young man and he was very talented, but he wanted to be successful. He wanted to ride winners. Well, I knew this anyway, because we, we used to chat a lot. And he travelled about with me quite a lot, so it was really, we, I was sort of mentoring him anyway. Well, not that I knew it. But uh, he would ask a lot of questions and, you know, and I, hopefully I give him the right answer, answers and give him the right help. But um, he was always very talented and you knew he was going to be very good. ITV Racing presenters Ed Chamberlain and Francesca Kamani, as well as legendary jump jockey A.P. McCoy, believe nature as well as nurture had a big role to play. His mum was a gymnast for starters. So she explains his, his incredible dismount. But he's a very talented sportsman and athlete. Well, he's pretty well bred for the job, if you think about it. His father was a very, very good jockey himself. He rode for my grandfather in Italy. Um, and his mother is a circus performer, so incredibly agile, very athletic. You know, he's probably 
as perfect a shape as you could ever imagine to, to make a flat jockey. I'd say he's triple jointed or double jointed. He's whatever I know he does play in dismounts. Definitely does him better than I do. Ray Cochran again. You always knew that he had... Was always going to have a lot of talent. He had a lot of talent when he first arrived. We rode work together quite a lot, and I thought to myself, well, you know, time will come when I'll have to be moving somewhere else. But with success at his fingertips, a young Frankie had his first setback. One winter, uh, I kept hearing press people rang me up and said, uh, is it true that Frank has signed up to, to, to go to Hong Kong? And I said, no, I know nothing about it. And, uh, and after the first or second call, I dismissed it. And then when I had the third or fourth call, I started thinking, uh-uh, there's something going on here. So I tried to track him down. In those days, we didn't have mobile telephones, so it was very difficult. He was abroad somewhere, I didn't know where. And, uh, and so I couldn't track him down. And then he came back in February from wherever he'd been and came into my office and he said, I've decided I'm going to arrive in Hong Kong. That made me furious because I said, look, Frankie, you are the greatest talent that's emerged in England. At the time, Hong Kong was a place where all retiring jockeys would go to just make a bit of money before they had to give up. And he was insistent. And I said, well, if you go, it's against my wishes and um, I'm very, very cross with you. And as leading racing journalist Marcus Townend explains, fate would intervene. He got a police warning for being caught in possession of cocaine on a night out. You know, he was a young man, a man flashing lights of London, the bright lights of London, and he was living sort of, a, you know, quite a, a fast lifestyle, shall we say, in those periods. But, yeah, you know, ironically, what was a bad episode for Frankie probably worked out very well for British racing. He was planning to go to Hong Kong, and then he got a positive test for a banned substance and then then that didn't happen which I think actually was was a bit of a blessing in disguise for him I think him and my dad have always had a good relationship but maybe it wasn't helped by that incident and then I think as he went on in his career he very much was nurtured by John Gosden. The story is that he turned up at John Gosden's door with very early in January or whatever with, with his head shaved looking a little bit like a convict not like we, the normal Frankie we know and said I'm here I want to work and they got together and I think he's only won his first championships and he under John's guidance there and yeah he, he, it was a fresh start. We became very very good friends from the first time round when the, the Hong Kong thing slightly blew up in his face and he couldn't go to Hong Kong and he'd left himself a little bit without a ship here or a stable to say the least. Top trainer John Gosden offered Frankie a chance to reboot his career and he grabbed it with open arms. People thought he was a little bit of a playboy, not a jockey, and he came back, he started work for me on January the 1st that year, and he was champion jockey three years running, riding 230-odd winners a year, and, and really doing that hard graft of the travelling these jockeys have to do to be a champion rider. It's, it's exhausting in itself, let alone having to ride nine races when you or eight races when you get there, having ridden the afternoon. So he went through all of that process and proved it to everybody. Dottori's career was back on track, and next we'll hear about the day that catapulted him to sporting superstardom. 28th of September 96 changed my life. You're listening to Frankie on TalkSport. Welcome back to Frankie, a talk sport special about one of the most effervescent characters in sport and a man who at the age of 49 is still the dominant force in his profession. After the sliding doors moment in Hong Kong, Frankie was back racing in Britain and fulfilling his potential. By the mid-90s, he was about to become a household name, achieving the extraordinary at Ascot when he won every race on one of the biggest days of the year. 28th of September 96 changed my life. Stretching again now as they enter the final 150 yards. Wall Street from Salmon Ladder as they race up towards the line. It's just Wall Street from Salmon Ladder as they run to the line. Wall Street and Frankie Dettori going to win the opener. Wall Street has won it. Lining up against Frankie on that history making day was rival jockey. Ray Cochran. We've been in the sauna together having a little sweat. And we, when you're in the sauna, the boys will always say, you know, you, you've got some good rides here, Frankie, or you've got some good rides here, Darrell or whoever was there. Yeah, and I remember him saying, well, I fancy the one in the third. But Mark of Esteem sprints, and Mark of Esteem on Frankie Dottori 
So after about the third one, we were sort of looking, thinking, oh, are you going to go, what's going to happen here? We, better. we never imagined we'd make it through the card, because everybody was then, after somebody's ridden three winners, you think, well, don't let him ride anymore. Because he's sitting between me and Pat Eddery, yeah. and, you know, and we're thinking, well, don't let him ride anymore. We've just got to do something here, you know. But it's going to be four out of four for Frankie Dottori, as decorated hero goes on to win well by four lengths. Another man whose life changed that day was on-course bookmaker Gary Wiltshire. I thought, hang on a minute, we've got a chance here. Frankie can ride the six-race winner, and I'll see all the money coming in for Frankie's mount in the six. But that had a chance, in my eyes. That had a big, big chance. It was one of the favourites or joint favourites, and I thought to myself, no, we ain't going to get involved here, but if this wins, we ain't going to put the foot on the accelerator pedal and we'll have a go at the last race. Of course, CD putting in a late rally now on the far side, but punch down. It's six out of six for Frankie as Lock Angel gets there. A young Ed Chamberlain was also at Ascot. If I'm honest, I was terrified because I'd graduated from the, the BHB, as it was then, graduate scheme, and I was at Ladbrokes, of all places, as an odds compiler. And every winner Frankie had, I thought, right, crikey, here goes the liability, here goes the liability. And now by the end of it, I think, here goes my job because of the money the firm and the bookmaking industry were hemorrhaging at the time. Punters piled in on history being made and Frankie was on board Fujiyama Crest in the seventh with expectations at fever pitch. No electric boards in them days on the rail. We were shouting the odds out. And the first price I shouted out, I think, was, was four to one. I think I laid four to one. Four to one the field I shouted out and one of the reps come down from Labbrook, from Coles. 80,000 or 20, 20,000 pound in readies. Now, bearing in mind, Rupert, I only went there with two and a half grand in my pocket. There was no way in the world, look, I was the biggest bookie on the rails because I weighed 37 stone, but I weren't the biggest bookie laying bets. <laughs> and the first bet, 20 grand at four to one. And I thought, hang on a minute, we've got a chance here. I laid him the first bet, 20 grand at four to one. And then the avalanche come and all the phone. In them days, I don't think there was any mobile phones as well. Another bet coming, 20 grand at seven or two, three and a half to one. And then all of a sudden, then it was three to one. Then they took 11 or four. Then they took five to two. By this time, my clerk, he couldn't even breathe, not alone write the bets in the book because it was all pencil, you know. And I just got carried away, Rupert. It was one of, but the atmosphere there that day, Frank, it was, it was on fire. Can Frankie do it? Seven out of seven or not? He's on the inside. He's just the leader. He's it wasn't going to win. It couldn't win. I always remember going out for the last race. I was at the back, but he sat off on the outside of the field and just went, just dropped his hand on his neck. I thought he's going too fast. He's going too fast here. This is never going to get home. And then we were going very quick in a two-mile handicap, and he had ten stone with us. Never get home, turn down the back, and I'm out. He's never going to get home. It's Fujiyama Crest, Frankie Dottori, two lengths in front as they straighten up for the judge. And we went to Swindley Bottom, and there was this noise erupted down at Swindley Bottom. We're talking a mile from home. What's this noise? It's not coming from the, there. must be a tank or something going up the road. There's nothing going up. You can see out under the road. Nothing going up there. And then we made the turn up with the mile gate, and this noise got louder. Crest is a half in front, northern feet on the near side. And I looked to see where he was, and he's still in front. I thought, hang on a minute, that's the crowd from the stand. At Ascot, when they used to come into the straight, the man used to ring a bell, if you can remember. And when he rang the bell, I was watching it on the, on the screen. And when he rang the bell, it was about a length and a half, two lengths in front, and you could see behind everything was rowing away. And I thought to myself, it can't happen, can it? It can't. I got absolutely carried away with a day. I never ever thought, oh, I, would, I can't do that. I was only a little baby bookie. I was winning going into the last race, no word of a lie, I think I was winning about £1,400 I was winning. And on the day I lost £1.4 It was Mike Dillon who said at the time, don't panic, this is the best thing that could possibly happen for racing. This for racing is huge. Yes, it's costing the industry a lot of money and it costs people their jobs. You look at what happened to Gary Wilshire, poor chap. But for the sport, that was publicity and getting people into the sport that money can't buy because it was a day that, one of the great sporting days in this country that, again, front page news and that made Frankie a household name.
Ed was right to win these seven races on such a significant day. Without question, this was one of sport's greatest moments. And with that win and subsequent flying dismount from Fujiyama Crest, it was a massive boost to racing and a breakthrough moment for Frankie. You know, six was the record to win seven at Ascot on a Saturday. It was amazing. And I really didn't realise the impact he made, not just on me and on a lot of people, because they suspected that the bootmakers lost 40 million on the day. You know, I even moved the stock market. And I realised when I opened the door on Sunday morning and and it was like 10 paparazzi there taking pictures of me with my T-shirts and underpants while I was trying to collect the paper from outside my door, I realised... This was oh, your Notting Hill moment. Yeah, my Notting Hill, I thought, oh dear, <laughs> this is beyond what I thought I did. And, uh, you know, and up to this day now, then it's past over 20 years, that I have people coming up to me saying, oh, I won this mm. many thousands, I'll change your life, and great, amazing, absolutely amazing. I enjoyed the attention, I loved it, and I, out of the back of there, I did all the things I wanted to do. You know, I did the Parkinson's, I did the present the question of sport, the morning TV. Our resident double act, it's sports answer to little and large, Frankie and Ali. So one of the most successful jockeys of all time, it's the one, it's the only, Frankie Dottori! <laughs> Big Brother House now is under the complete control of my regime. And welcome to the Think It's All Over with David and Lee as a champion jockey who made headlines last year by riding seven out of seven winners at Ascot. He's the celebrity jockey who transcends his sport. Frankie Dottori. I did all those shows possibly known to man. And if it wasn't for that magnificent seven, I don't think I would have had the chance of doing all that kind of shows. And... Uh, and, and also, you know, just that, not just being recognised by my sport, but I was recognised beyond racing public. Continued success followed for Frankie, who had cemented his role as the number one jockey for the most powerful team in racing, Godolphin. But in 2000, the Tory and fellow jockey Ray Cochran were involved in a tragic plane crash that would have a huge impact on both their lives. To be honest with you, I should, be, I should have been dead, you know. Um, twice I was lucky, obviously. We lost our pilot, Patrick. Tremendous shame because, uh, you know, I know him and his family and, and you know, it's tragedy what happened. And, uh, you know, first of all, I was lucky then I, I didn't die on the crash itself. And second of all, I was lucky then I broke my leg and Ray was able to drag me out of the plane and before he exploded. So, you know, twice I was blessed. He couldn't see a way out. I, I'm lucky I had that one bit of experience in a plane where I had my own aeroplane and we crashed. And um, very quickly, my brother-in-law, Andrew, he had read the book and all the, all the things I, I didn't do. He told me, this is how we get out of here, anything goes wrong. So I knew how to get out. The door was, the door, the left-hand door was all battered in. The only way out was through the front, which we couldn't get to the front because it was on fire. And the only way, I just looked left and the luggage compartment door was open. Just look, I just looked and left. So I just grabbed him and said, Frank, get out here. He couldn't see. I fired him out through the door and I went then to go for the pilot. But he couldn't move. Frankie couldn't move. And he was in the way, you know, the flames mm. would have been hitting him. Uh, I've got to get him out of the way, get him out of the way, and then go the other side for the pilot. But... Then it just all erupted. Uh, it's one of those things that uh, life throws at you and you've got to handle it the best you can. Luckily, we handled it the best we could and still even then we lost a pilot's life who was a, an absolutely lovely fella, which uh, even now haunts me a little bit. We couldn't do more. To, well, I couldn't go... He couldn't, but I tried to get him out and just, I couldn't do more. And sometimes when you wake up and you think, you're a lovely guy, and there's someone's three foot from you, and there's nothing you can do to help him. And for that very same reason that now Ray Cochrane, he used to be a fellow jockey, and he's now my agent, because uh, I owe him my life. And he has changed my life tremendously, because, like I said, I should have been dead. I was just married with a six-month-old baby, Leo, who is now 20. And, you know... Um, you know, it really, you know, because without sin, shoot, shoot me up. But I wasn't the same Frankie for two years. It took me a while. You know, I was probably 
not depressed, but in in a shell, you know, uh, trauma. And yeah, there are two years. It really took me two years to come back. Coming up, we'll hear about the Tories' first derby success and Harry's career once again stalled. I was out of love the last couple of years and I nearly thought quitting. You're listening to Frankie on TalkSport. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This episode of the TalkSport Daily is brought to you by Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Planning to hire or share a car or van? Enterprise is there every step of the way. Whenever and wherever you need a vehicle and whatever it's for, Enterprise can help. With over 450 locations across the UK, they're just around the corner. Whether you need a weekend rental, a holiday hire, a replacement car, or you're planning a business trip, home or away, Enterprise are there to help. To find out more and book, visit enterprise.co.uk. Frankie, an exclusive interview with Rupert Bell on Talk Sports. This is Frankie, a talk sports special about racing's greatest showman, Frankie Dottori. In 2007, Dottori once again took centre stage as his quest to win Britain's most prestigious horse race finally came to an end. It took me 15 years, you know, and you only get one shot at it. You know, it's like, it's like you see to Lewis Hamilton, just say you won every race but the Monaco Grand Prix. You know, that's the pinnacle for, for a driver or for a footballer winning the World Cup, you know. And for, for us, the Epsom Derby, you know, especially that I won all the other classic, the Guinnesses, the Oaks and the Ledger, and you know, that was the one eluded me. And it got boring towards the end. I had people jumping on my back a week before the derby, why you haven't won it, why this and why that. And it Sorry, was, Frankie. And it was tiring and it was, I was dragging this thing around me and, and it, was, uh, it was a relief, I'll be honest with you. I didn't really enjoy it because uh, it was a massive favourite prior to the race. Of course, I was nervous, but you know, when I did win it, it, it was a, re- a relief. After more than a decade of success riding for Godolphin, the unrivaled unravelled. The Italian jockey, Frankie Dottori, one of the most recognisable faces in racing, is to face an inquiry after a positive test for a banned substance at Longchamp in France. I think I was out of love the last couple of years and I guess I was like a striker that I was working for the best team but I was sitting on the bench. More and more I was seeing other jockeys riding my horses and I wasn't competing and, you know, it's frustrating and, uh, yeah, it was a big loss because... You know, I rode them nearly a thousand winners and over a hundred group ones. And, you know, when, when your car goes the same direction every morning to work and all of a sudden you know you're not going there, it's a shock of the system. So to a point then, I think in, well, it was 2012, I nearly thought quitting. The Tory was now centre stage for the wrong reasons. Daily Mail racing correspondent Marcus Townend. At the time... 
things were changing at Godolphin. Mahmoud al-Zaruni, who was subsequently you know, disgraced for using anabolic steroids in his horses, was, was brought in to, to, to be one of the two Godolphin trainers based in Newmarket. A lot of Frankie's success had been with Saeed bin Sarur the, you know, the, as the main trainer. Al-Zaruni came in, there was a change of mood in the camp. Frankie was no longer the, the, the number one, the numero uno at Godolphin. And um, he, began to, he began to look a more peripheral figure. And, and, and he could have a very disconsolate figure on, on occasions. And, um, you know, he, he was no longer guaranteed the best rides. His quality of rides dropped for Godolphin. You know, he's still on good horses invariably, but he not, not every day. And, it, you know, it was no coincidence that, you know, his subsequent test positive test for cocaine happened I think about the day after or, or the weekend after Enki won the St Ledger at Doncaster you know that, that would have been Frank that would, that would have been Frank everybody thought Frankie would ride that but he didn't France Gallo have today announced their finding that Frankie Tatori has committed a breach of their rules relating to prohibited substances I have spoken to Frankie since the announcement was made and he has told me that he fully accepts France Gallo's decision he also accepts that he has let down the sport he loves and all those associated with it, as well as the wider public. But most of all, and this is his greatest regret, he has let down his wife and children. Longtime friend and agent Ray Cochran reflects on this low point. A lot of the time, uh, other rides will be booked on the crest of a wave from other yards, you know. It's all built on success. And uh, when you're not having success, all of a sudden other people don't start wanting you, you know. That's what happens. If someone else is riding a lot of winners, they all go to the number one. That's what happens. But it was tough, very tough for a lot of years. He was very down for a long time, very down for a long time. But um, I knew it could change. I knew it could change with just a couple of real nice winners. Not for the first time in this story, John Gosden took him under his wing. Things had come to an end at Godolphin, and he got himself in a, you know, he, he was very much on the on on listing to to starboard to say the least, and uh, the career looked rather sadly over, and he was somewhat of a shadow of his former self. Um, I had William Buick here, who'd come from being a, a top apprentice with me. He then was uh, requisitioned for Frankie's old job at Godolphin, which obviously Frankie hadn't been at for a couple of years. I was in Switzerland skiing, and he rung me up one evening. This was shortly after Christmas. And he said, have you heard the news? I said, uh, no, Frank, I haven't heard the news. I'm in Switzerland skiing. I haven't looked at the racing post. We don't get the paper here. He said, well, what's happened? And I didn't, I didn't know what he was going to say. And I didn't know what was going to happen next. He said, uh, William Buick and James Doyle have gone to ride for Godolphin. And the f- next word that came out of my mouth was, have you rung John? He said, no, I haven't. And I'm start giving him loads of abuse yeah. for not ringing John I'm saying you lazy I'm <laughs> calling him everything and I mean I'm giving him some serious abuse why haven't you wronged John you lazy Italian yeah. I'm giving him some serious abuse and he said will you listen for a minute I said what he said I didn't need to I said why he said he rang me I said I don't believe you John goes in wrong and asked you the job he said yeah I said, we're mates, we're mates. (laughs) Was it the easiest call you made? There was no hesitation on your part? No, none whatsoever. But then Rachel, uh, my wife, I'd just been walking five paces behind her as the mayor of Newmarket at Shears at the Remembrance Sunday service. And we got back home and I just discussing it with her and she said we should call Frankie. And I said, you're right. So it was actually, it was her first idea before it was mine, so I'm not going to claim for that. But it was a logical thing to do. He was a great jockey. You couldn't see the twilight of a career end like that. And, of course, it's been like an ascendancy, you know, the phoenix from the ashes. He's a genius as a trainer, he's a wonderful man. And, you know, I basically, when I, when I first started for him, for, you know, I worked for him in the 90s, but then I had a 20-year gap. And then when I first came, when I first came back, the very first horse he put me on, on was Golden Horn, the horse that I won the, the Epsom Derby. And it was on Golden Horn in 2015 that Frankie would produce a riding masterclass in the Arc at Longchamp. Arc de Triomphe started holding them and away they go. They begin their 2400 metre trip. Dolmia and Golden Horn are the first two to bounce out of the gates. New Bay and Shaha are up there as well. Trev settles about six or seven.
just jumps at me all the time, was the best race he ever rode in his life. And he told me he would ride that race on the Friday before the race. And that was Golden Horn, Nick, when he won the arc on him. He rings me Friday morning, he says, that, that draw's all right, you know. I said, why's that? And my ears pricked up, what's going on here? It's a good draw. He said, look, he said, sometimes he can be a little slowly away. He doesn't need a race with company. He said, if I got left in behind in the pack, down on the fence, he said, I'd be stuck there, he said. I could do nothing. But on the outside, he said, if he misses a beat half a, start, half a length of start, it's not a problem. We stood in the stall and looked down the track from that mile and a half start at Longshot. And I looked at him and I knew what he was going to do. I could just see it in his eyes. He said, John, I'm going to stay straight. Because if I try and want to get in, they're not going to let me in. They'll stack me. And I'm just going to stay out there. And then at the right moment, I'm going to slot. Well, not only did he stay out there, everyone thought something had happened, that his bridle, he's the bit had broken, he'd lost control. He was heading for the bicycle track on the outside. But what he cleverly did is when he came across just before the Petit Bois, he managed to put himself carefully behind Trev's pacemaker. They'll let me do that. He's like, so who I am? They'll, let, they'll want to follow me. And Trev, remember, I'm thinking, Trev's in a race here. And used the pacemaker to all good effect. And then when he came into the straight and he waited for the 400, which is the right place to wait, and let loose, he said, I was going so fast. Normally the French come like arrows at your back. He said, but the speed I went the last two furlongs, no arrow was going to get to me. to go, Golden Horn in front and it's Golden Horn and Frankie Dottori from Flincher in second place, Trevor's on the outside in third trying to close Golden Horn though is answering every call from Frankie and it's Golden Horn who's going to win the arc It was a ride that impressed the racing fraternity, including 20 times champion jump jockey AP McCoy. You know he was always making sure that his horse had a, uh, was in a position where it had a free re- free run to go on go on win a race, you know, and that's that's what makes him better than everyone else. It was very unconventional, but an absolute ride of genius, and to that extent, it, it would stand out. Is there somebody who written it in his script exactly the way he told me on the Friday? Um, people were ringing me after the race saying, "Ray, that's the best race we've ever seen any jockey ride." Just thinking outside the box, I went alone for the first part of the race, and everybody thought it was crazy slotted in and and you know he was a good horse in his own right but we kind of you know i probably made the difference that day and it's something you know that i'm when he comes off i'm very proud of it but it could have gone terribly wrong i think he really savored that and i think all of these lovely horses and great wins we've had in the last three or four years have meant an awful lot to him whereas before i think it was all click the fingers it just happens because i am who i am and i'm in a position i'm in and I suppose something to do with years and experience, you do appreciate things more rather than think it's just your not natural God-given right. Coming up, we look back at Frankie's most successful season in the saddle and find out what's next. This is TalkSport. He was. That was the Ascot Gold Cup, one of Frankie's 19 Group 1 wins. The fourth win out of four at the Royal Meeting, creating a frisson of excitement, reminiscent of the Magnificent Seven we heard about earlier. ITV presenter Ed Chamberlain. He'd done it before, so people knew what was going on, and you've got the bookmakers much more aware now, so immediately you're hearing stories of the damage that's being done. Plus, you've got social media, which spreads word and gossip very quickly and you can tell that from the ITV viewing figures because through the day it went up and up and up and our, our top viewing figure wasn't for Stradivarius in the Gold Cup it was for Turgenev in the Britannia that followed because word had spread that Frankie's up to something special on Twitter and all these kind of things where people were clearly racing to televisions and radios to find out exactly what was going on it whipped people into much more of a fervour this time around than it did when he actually did go through the card in 96 
his resurgence has been one of the great sporting stories of recent times. It's just been brilliant. How's he done that? John Gosden's clearly played a huge part, and I think Frankie would play a huge testament to, to the, the backing he's had from John Gosden. But he's also had brilliant horses to ride. And one obviously stands out in Enable, and his brilliant resurgence Enable has been a massive factor and put him back on that big stage on which he thrives. And you look back at the arcs, the King Georges, and that is, that's Frankie time. To have a two dam hot in the stable, a Stradivarius, a Enable, a Coronet, and Starcatcher, Annapurna, in the same year, I mean, he's absolutely mad. And uh, so I really have to thank all of them horses, probably other horses than I ever mentioned to be part of this amazing year and uh, you know Enable played a big part Crystal Ocean will not give in on the far side they go head to head toe to toe she's just in front of Enable racing up towards the line and she'll win a second King George what a race that was a horse race while Golden Horn was the ride of his career that victory on Enable will go down as one of the great races of all time However, at the end of 2019, the dream of three successive art wins for Frankie and Enable, well, it just wasn't to be. And it's Enable in front. She leads. Volkgeist in second place is closing down the centre. Volkgeist in the red jacket is getting up. He's won. Pierre-Charles Boudot was one of Volkgeist. Beats Enable. We came into the arc. Tremendous expectation. To, you know, we, we have opened the world's eyes. We were trying to do something what... In 98 years of the Arc de Triomphe has not been done before. We were their favourite and i never seen the place Longchamp erupted like he did on Sunday. And of course, I was such a good beat, but circumstances of the two days of rain stopped us from doing so. So I was, of course, I was low. You know, I was, uh, you know, it took me all week to get over it. I was more sad for the horse than, you know, obviously, when, when you do my job, it's more time you lose than you win, so you get used to losing. But, you know, um, I feel sorry for that we didn't do it. But the good news is the Enable story is set to roll on, as is Frankie's, who at the age of 49 is still as single-minded as ever. I go ants in my pants. I, I don't really sit still a lot. Even when I'm holiday, I just, I just, I left to go for walks and do something. And I can sit in the sand lounge maybe for an hour, but I'm up and doing things. And I've been doing this for over 30 years. I think my family have adopted around me, you know, even so that, you know, I take my kids skiing or, or places. So we, we, we try to do things together, but they're not kids anymore. Now, now they've got their own lives, their own school friends, their little parties. And, and uh, so we, we are close, but we all do our own thing. Clearly, the commitment is still there. Ed Chamberlain, A.P. McCoy and first former weighing room colleague Jason Weaver explain what keeps Frankie ahead of the field. You could not have a better pedigree for a human being to be a wonderful champion rider. The best that we've ever seen from a physical perspective, from a balanced perspective, from a mental perspective. He is a little bit crazy. He can be a little bit wild. No, there is a bit of madness in Frankie, but, but I think in every genius that, that competes at a, a level of sport, there's a, there's a switch in them all, you know, you, whether it's Mike Tyson or Tiger Woods or Zinedine Zidane, you know, all these great, you know, even a George Best, there's, a, there, there's, there's something inside them all that makes them different. He loves it. Sir Anthony McCoy said something brilliant at Royal Ascot the day after he rode those winners and we thought he might go through the card. He said that Frankie Dottori genuinely believes in his head that 75,000 people have come to Ascot to watch him. He believes he is the performer on that stage, which is hilarious, really. But it's probably partly true. We entertainment sport. I'm trying to promote my sport. And it's, you know, look, I'm, I'd be lying to say to you, I, I yeah, quite enjoy it because... When, when you ride a favourite at Royal Ascot and it's 40,000 people shouting your name, I mean, you can't get any better than that. And, and the prime examples was, uh, was when I was in Longchamp and they're all shouting my name. You know, everybody forgot about my name, but they're all shouting, oh, Frankie Dittori. And I thought, wow, it's mental. He grew up 
in the weighing room watching Lester Piggott, Bruce Raymond, all the legends of the weighing room. Steve Cawthon, he went to America when the ballpark was... Chris McCarron, Gary Stevens. There were, there were just no free rides in those days. And so he's learnt from the very, very best worldwide. That's why you can drop him off the plane in any country at any given time and he can ride the tempo of the race. Be that France, be that America, be that Australia, he can do that. It's these two, one, two, down to the finish. Enabled and magical and they're well clear of the others. Racing royalty, Enable and Frankie Dottori. Confidence plays a big part and understanding of, of horses. When, when I take a horse into the starting gates, he doesn't know if he's going one mile, 10 miles or 100 miles. He doesn't know. So it's up to me to, to become one with the horse. So, so he respects my commands. When I say, you know, we must go quicker, go quicker. When I say to slow down, he slows down because, you know, he, he's got to trust you. And I think confidence plays a big part. And then uh, I think the rest comes natural to me. So what else? Trainer John Gosden is aware that Frankie has to be managed to get the best out of him. He works out hard in the gym rather than pounding the motorways and the, to go from track to track. A lot of his fitness comes from, you know, being fit from the gym, but also riding horses in the mornings. Not a lot, you know, two or three mornings a week, but by spacing it at his age and not trying to attend every meeting, going to the better meetings. And there's no doubt that by reserving those energies, he is riding probably like a 28-year-old. I do wake up and aches and pains a little bit, but... My mind is good. I work for an amazing trainer. He kind of looks after me. He doesn't make me ride, basically, during the week. He keeps me for the weekends, for the big races. Journalist Marcus Tannen knows that Frankie's continued involvement at the top level is crucial. 19 Group 1 winners this season, the best he's ever had. He only had 53 Group 1 rides. You know, that's, a th- that's a th- touching 36%. You know, the, the, the elite level to have that sort of strike rate is phenomenal. He is one of the few figures within the sport who the man on the street or the, the, the non-racing sort of specialist or, or, or audience has heard of you know he's presented top of the pops he was a he was a um a captain on question of sports you know there's a bit of showbiz about frankie and all those people who go to say royal ascot their one day of the year or or, or some of the big meetings you know they all pretty back frankie de Tory. and bookmaker gary wiltshire who, as we said earlier, lost a fortune as a result of Frankie's magnificent seven, knows his true value to the sport. People love Frankie Detroit. I go racing now, they don't look at the form of horses. They come up and they say, can I have £2 and £5 on Frankie? And that is what racing is all about, Frankie Detroit. And, you know, I love the man. I know anybody with a right mind, like what happened to me, would say, oh, I love him. But I love him. I love Frankie. What he's done to the sport, he's just unbelievable and... My youngest son, he's had a baby last year, little boy born, and uh, you know what he's called it, the name, don't you? Frankie. He said, you'll never forget him, we had that. And look, we love Frankie. Without Frankie the toy, but there'd be no racing. ITV Racing presenters Ed Chamberlain and Francesca Kumani. He is the one person on the flat, most certainly, that resonates beyond racing. He's the man, as we saw at Royal Ascot when he wrote those winners on the Thursday, who gets the sport on the front and the back pages of newspapers. And that makes him invaluable to the sport. I would say he and Her Majesty the Queen are the two most important people in our sport and the two people who will miss most when we don't have them. There's only ever going to be one Frankie Dottori. The sport will miss him hugely. The sport doesn't know how lucky it's been to have Frankie Dottori. You stop someone in the street and you say, name someone in racing. Frankie Dottori and they don't they don't really get much beyond that do they because he is this larger than life character not only is he a brilliant jockey but he's such a showman he's such a personality and how many elite athletes can be there when they're approaching their 50s on days like these when skies are blue and fields are green will you know when to say enough's enough what will happen to you to say I can go out with my head held high I think when you know the moment I, it's impossible for me to stop because I've got, I'm riding the best stable, the best horses, and I'm loving it. Two things, the body's going to give up first, or you're going to lose your nerve, or you run out of good horses to ride. So one of the, uh, one of the three above, what I just mentioned, will decide when I will stop. 
at the moment, none of the above, and I'm feeling quite good. The chances are he'll probably be riding till he's 70. Now, I'm, in, in truth, I think if he gets through 50, that'll, it's how he feels every year. And he always says to me, John, as a jockey, as an athlete, I'm, I'm, I'm one injury away from retirement. And, and I, there's not a footballer or a jumps jockey who doesn't understand the meaning of that. So, you know, let's play it for as long as we can. He doesn't tax himself by trying to ride too many horses in the season. In fact, everybody's quite annoyed how few he does have to ride. Recently retired champion jump jockey AP McCoy says Frankie should keep on riding. He's riding the best horses that he's ever ridden in his life. Not that he'd probably have to do a job like most people would have to do whenever he retires, but there is the possibility that he'll have to do a little bit of work. You know, end up doing a bit of TV or a bit of stuff that you know you would think you would never have done before. But you can't stay in your you can't stay at home in your house all your life, no matter what you've got. You know, you have to get out and get about. And if I was Frankie, I'd be riding until some fella told me to get down off the horse. It's on days like these you know, I actually when I left Italy. Of course I wanted to be a jockey, but never in my wildest dreams I thought I was going to be what I am now. I was happy to be a middle-of-the-road jockey and ride my 50 winners and making a living out of it, but everything just snowed out of my control and, and I got better and better and uh, then I got addicted to winning and I was winning big races and anyway, but, right, but I didn't start with, with I didn't have, um, of course I had ambitions, but I never thought that I would reach these heights. Any one last ambition for the, in the sport? Or have you cracked it? Well, of course, obviously. Uh, Funny enough, I never won the July Cup when I live in Newmarket. I love to win the Melbourne Cup because Catherine's family's from down under. So there is always ambitions. I love to win the third derby. I love to win another arc. Of course, in my sport, is always ambitions. And until I've got those, I'll keep going. The man who has achieved almost everything in the sport. That's Frankie. I can sit on my rocking chair one day and I say that I've conquered my own sport. And I won every classic, I managed to win seven in a day, and never mind all the other big races that I won. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a self satisfaction of, of, of what I achieved in my sport, amazing. And I still got the love for it, and that's why I'm keeping going. The TalkSport Daily Podcast is proud to be in partnership with Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Whatever your mission, home or away, don't delay. Enterprise has the vehicle for the job. Rent from the best lineup in the UK. With over 450 branches, Enterprise has what your business needs. From compact three-door cars to spacious SUVs and people carriers to vans, they offer a large range of reliable vehicles perfect for the job. To find out more and book, visit enterprise.co.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.